And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show for Friday, January 20th. Derek Van Riper here with Keith Law. Keith, it's been a little while since we spoke. A few things have happened, so we're going to look back at a few of the bigger transactions that have gone down over the past month or so, talk about the impact those are going to have in the year ahead. I want to start today. You know, you're in the middle of a few really big projects right now. So what is a, a day in the life of Keith Law like in the middle of January? Well, you know, we started recording a little late because I was on a call with a uh, front office person um, for an hour and 20 or so talking about players. I had a two hour call last night. I think I'll have another one later today after I have a Zoom appointment that is not related to baseball and then also have a um and then I will get my stepdaughters from school and then I will somewhere in there. I have to run to the store real quick. Um, and I will come home and go back to work and there will be a call and I will write up a bunch more capsules. I was up until about midnight last night writing and slept, I don't know, six and a half hours, something like that. So I'm semi-functional at this point. All right. Massive information gathering phase right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't stop even so. the top 100 is currently scheduled to run on January 30th. And assuming even if we hold to that, right, I'm just still going basically up until I have finished filing the last team report. I'm still calling and texting people if I can pretty much every day because you can never talk to enough people. You can never reach out to enough people. And there are always other names. Oh, I forgot to ask about this guy. Oh, somebody mentioned so-and-so. Let me go back to the team at this point and try to get maybe a little more information on that particular player. So yeah, it's kind of, um, it's endless, not in a bad way, but that's just kind of what it, what it's like at this point where I was trying to explain to someone earlier today, um, I know from outside of baseball, what it's like. And, you know, a lot of people don't think I work, right. (laughs) This is not a real job. (laughs) And I can't exactly argue with them, but yeah, it's, it's work. It's, it's a different kind of work, but it's work. For sure. Like you, you're tired at the end of the day. <laughs> From the outside, it does not look like work. And I'm like, I'm going to write 2000 words today, probably more, depending on how much I get rolling tonight, whether I fall asleep at some point, which I did actually fall asleep yesterday in the middle of the day um, for I sat down to read. I was waiting for someone to call me back. So I actually laid down, which was probably the mistake with a book, though, the book that is here. Hell, what the hell are my glasses? Oh, they're on me. <laughs> they're on my <laughs> collar. Yes. Um, I certainly see a lot better with my glasses. I wouldn't say I can't read without my glasses, but I certainly see a lot better with the glasses. Um, and uh, anyway, so yeah, then I fell asleep for a few minutes. And then 
my friend called and we had a nice long conversation. So that part was good, but it was a, um, you know, it was one of those, like, I am going to push myself about as much as I can. You know, I would, I'm not going to do an all night or anything, but I'm going to push pretty hard because I can't, I get very anxious about falling behind. Like I know how much I have to write teams, players, etc., And obviously what is required, um, you know, how many days I have left to get to that, to get, you know, get to the goal, to file in a timely fashion, especially, um, that is always my thing is to make sure I'm filing in enough time that my editors have plenty of time, not just to format it, but to go through and maybe catch stuff. And so I try to file many days in advance, if at all possible. And so that means, um, you know, for the January 30th, I want to have all that stuff to them by next Wednesday, which would be five days in advance, which is, you know, they would usually say enough time for them to go through everything and format and add information. And so I am doing, um, I'm pushing myself because I get anxious. Generally, like I, I start out great. I'm well ahead of schedule. And then some, you know, life happens. And then all of a sudden I look and I'm like, oh my God, I'm never going to finish. You know how much work it is already. You've done it enough years yeah. where you're like, oh my God, I know, I truly know if I'm behind, I know how bad my life is going to be trying to catch up. Oh yeah. I said to my daughter the other day, I'm like, you've seen this before. And she's like, yeah. <laughs> talking to my wife who's her work is extremely busy right now too. We just, this tends to happen kind of at the same time to us where we both get uh, in mid January, basically every year we both get whacked with work and you know, everyone's seen it before they're used to it, which is, which can be good because they are all like, you've done this, right? You, you know, you can do this. Yeah. But it always feels like this is the year I can't <laughs> every year that ends up happening. Did you used to pull all nighters back when you started doing this? Did you have the capacity? I am to do not that? an all nighter guy. I have stayed up all night twice in my life maybe i can't i just fall asleep i just do like i'll fall asleep where i'm standing um prom stayed up all night it's going way back and then as i recall got home well after daybreak and fell asleep because of course right i can't i can't do that i just cannot wire that way not to mention the quality of writing would be really bad i'll fall asleep at the keyboard at that point I know I need, really need seven and a half to function. Obviously, eight is better. And I'll sleep nine or 10 if you let me. I can get by for a few days going around six, six and a half. And then, you know, I'll sneak a nap in every now and then. That's kind of what the next two weeks will be like. um, Because I'm so busy and my wife is so busy. So we're both, we'll have a working, you know, we have, our, our custody schedules line up. So we have every other weekend, our kids are with the co-parents. And so the, like, we're just going to work all through the weekend. I know it's super romantic. Um, <laughs> I mean, we'll watch a movie or something in between, but both of us are like so stressed with so much work at this point that, and it's both of us, it's, it's sitting in front of the computer stuff. It's reading or writing a lot of it. So that's what the weekend will be like. Um, that, uh, and and honestly, in some on some level, I'm looking forward to it because I feel like, well, if I do that all weekend, when Monday comes, maybe I'll feel better. You might be back on schedule. There you go. Yes, you know, I'll, I'll never be right. I, I'll never really feel good until it's done. 
but I might be able to look at the calendar say and say, I am comfortable with the number of days and the quantity of work remaining. January 30th, though, that is the projected launch date for that top 100 for those yes. waiting on that arrival. A lot has happened since we last spoke, though. Carlos Correa, last time we spoke, Keith, he was a giant for a brief moment. Yeah. That's the last time you mm-hmm. and I talked. So quite a bit has happened since then. Of course, there was the brief window where it looked like he was going to be a member of the New York Mets. Now he's back in Minnesota. That's been discussed mm-hmm. a lot on other episodes of the pod uh, since you and I last spoke. So we don't have to get into that, but that gives you an idea of just how long it's been since you and I have recorded. I think one of the trades that went down that I want to talk about with you is the Jays-Diamondbacks deal, which you wrote about for The Athletic, is probably being good for both clubs, where Toronto picked up Dalton Varsho, Arizona ended up with Gabriel Moreno and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Let's start on the Toronto side. I mean, Dalton Varsho has been an intriguing player to me for a while as a a former catcher that had some power and good bit of speed as well. He's made a really nice transition to center field. How well does he fit in Toronto? Does this just kind of like a an absolute need in the organization that they are able to fill by trading away some surplus? Yeah, I think he's exactly what they need. Right? They traded they traded good players, um, a really good prospect in Moreno. I guess he's technically not a prospect; he's just barely graduated. But he was a top ten prospect in baseball um, for at least the last year that he was in the minors, and I'm a huge fan. But they have catching depth. Granted, he's the one I always said I would have kept. I would have thought about trying to trade Kirk, maybe Kirk and Jansen, and building around Moreno. But you know, I think one, I think Kirk is kind of the bird in the hand for them. Pun very much intended. Um, Blue Jays or birds. Got it. It's a wingspan joke. Never mind. And so, you know, I understand, right? We know what Kirk is. Everybody, I've worked in baseball. I worked for that particular team, actually. I get the certainty this guy has done it in the big leagues. We know what his established skill level is. As much as you like Moreno, the anal- you have the analytics, you have the scouts, you have personally seen this guy, you will always, always question whether it's really going to pan out, right? And we've all had, you look at my list, MLB, Fangraphs, Baseball America, we've all had our top 10 prospects now and then who just, did, you know, something didn't pan out. The late Andy Marte is when I always come back to. How'd that guy not hit? But so I understand their perspective. But anyway, they had a catching surplus and a center field deficiency, and they did exactly the right thing, I think. And both clubs, I think, did this was a really good move both ways, the Diamondbacks had a real surplus in the outfield. They still probably have a surplus in the outfield. I'm not even getting to the fact that they have Drew Jones. Is If he's the player we all think he is, he's going to impact their outfield probably within the next two, two and a half years. Um, he could probably play defense in the majors, if not now, by the end of this upcoming season. So they still have a surplus and they needed catching. So I love the way that the two teams lined up on this deal. The Blue Jays, really, they needed a center fielder and they needed to... You know, George Springer should never be playing center field, obviously. He's having enough trouble staying healthy. And they got a guy who Varsho has turned into a pretty damn great defensive center fielder, which I think defied a lot of expectations. I remember back when he was drafted, there were a lot of people skeptical of him being any of this. And it was sort of, you know, he's a good athlete. We don't have any idea where he plays. He's definitely not a catcher. Well, then where do you start to put him? And I don't think anybody ever looks at a catcher on the amateur level and says, that guy will be really good in center field. That's just mm-hmm. not a normal career path. Yeah, it takes a really different kind of athlete to pull that off. Right? Well, then you start to be like, the hell is he behind the plate in the first place? Right? And, and so 
you know, and then the natural thing is, I mean, it's we've actually seen way more guys go catcher like to third base, right? Because well, he can really throw, but the body's not great back there. But you generally don't see plus runners behind the plate. Um, and so, anyway, to your question, it's a great fit. I think he gives the Blue Jays exactly what they need. He helps them defensively. He helps the depth chart. I think he helps, uh, will help offensively. I still think there's growth there. That's one of the other things that's really interesting about this deal is that they gave up a prospect and then I think it's just a year, right? Or something. It's a short window of an established big leaguer in Guriel. But uh, they did it for a guy who's still kind of on the come, right? There's still projection left performance projection rather more than physical projection but i am in the camp that thinks varsha will continue to grow and develop as a hitter uh, and that is interesting so they didn't trade moreno and get an established big leaguer they chose to get more time of a guy with more volatility in his potential in his range of outcomes yeah, Dalton Varsho will be a free agent after the 2026 season. So four years of Varsho in toronto is a big get and uh, if he's able to lower the strikeout rate bring up the average OBP along the way and keep the power we saw. The barrel rate jumped up to 10.2% in 2022. Mm -hmm. That's a really exciting player. He's very good as is, but you're talking about a guy that's going to make multiple all-star teams if he's able to get up to that yeah. next level. Get and greedy. If you're giving up Gabriel Moreno, right, you you think Varsho is going to be a star. Mm -hmm. That That's how I view this. Plus Goriel, who has value. But you know, Moreno being the centerpiece, and he is... Like, I think he's a future all-star. He's a really, really good defensive catcher and a really good athlete who puts the ball in play a ton. There's not power. There's probably not going to be power. I think you could make some very small swing adjustments and get him to put the ball on a line more often. So just you, you worry with a guy with his batted ball profile and his swing that he might end up too much of a ground ball guy. And you don't want Lou Marson, right? You want somebody who can at least just hit line drives to the gaps. And, and hits the ball hard enough it's just got to be it's a you know, swing profile and then you know what's showing up and just how he's how the ball is leaving his bat but i think that you know most folks i talk to who do this stuff say that's something they think they can fix you can make that small adjustment the mets did it with brett Beatty. he was a high ground ball guy at one point who hit the you know he's a giant he hit the ball extremely hard and they got him to put the ball in the air a lot more last season voila he's in the big leagues so but Moreno, I think, has a really good chance to be an all-star, you know, a four-plus win a year catcher because of the position, the value of his defense, and just the fact that he's going to put the ball in play a ton. So they're giving up a lot of value there. To me, that also implies they think Varsho has further offensive growth coming. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. 
So for the D-backs, is Moreno the primary catcher now? Does this bump Carson Kelly into a clear backup role, or is it a little bit more of an even split initially while Moreno gets used to working with that staff and as he gets more acclimated against big league pitching? My guess is it's a job share to start, and the idea is probably, and I haven't asked the Diamondbacks about this specifically, um, other than just talking to them briefly, they're, they were ecstatic with the trade and nothing against Varsho. They're like, we gave up a really good player, but we love what we got back. Um, my guess is it starts as a job share and Moreno, if he does what I think he's capable of doing, probably ends up the primary catcher by Labor Day. And it may also come down to if they're going to do some of the little things. I don't think it's a huge swing overhaul. I think it's small changes in, in honestly, it's just kind of how his hands work before he really gets his bat moving forward, you know, depending on whether they want to do that in AAA or they want to do that in the majors and do they want to do that and then have him playing regularly, any or all of these things are um, could affect how much he's playing early in the season. But, you know, Kelly is now a placeholder. Kelly would be a great backup. I think he's a really good backup catcher. He's just, he never got stronger. He never impacted the ball Um you know, he had low exit velocities and, and poor batted ball data or mediocre batted ball data when he was younger, but I always thought he had projection to get stronger and that he would make better quality contact. It hasn't happened, and that makes him a backup. You know, With the inclusion of Lourdes Gurriel in this trade, the corner outfield and, and DH mix of, of playing time gets a little more crowded, and it seems like for now, Alec Thomas is the short-term loser in that, but I don't know. Like, I get this feeling that people are, are kind of quick to dismiss Thomas coming off of a, I don't know, a bit of a bumpy debut in the big leagues. But when you consider mm-hmm. for a rookie to come up and and struggle a little bit, that's normal. What's the deal with Alec Thomas long term in Arizona? Is he still a big part of their future, given that Guriel is probably only there for this year before he becomes a free agent? And they're relying pretty heavily on a guy in, in Jake McCarthy and a younger guy in Corbin Carroll in center that could go through stretches of struggles of their own that open up some playing time. Yeah. I wonder if some of this is that, um, yeah, Thomas was disappointing in his debut. And I think part of it is that his batted ball data in the big leagues was not great. His top end exit velocity was good, but his, you know, he hits a lot, he has a lot of medium to soft contact and he's not a huge guy. He was never supposed to be a big power guy. He can hit. He has feel, good feel to hit, to put the bat on the ball. He can really run. He can really play center field. He's got a plus arm. There's plenty to like there, but I think it's two things. One, if you just line up everybody Arizona has, he's not one of their top three outfielders right now. Um, he wasn't before Guriel. So I, I certainly understand them feeling like he's on the outside looking in and maybe maybe making him available in trade. I've sort of I've kind of heard that, nothing really direct or or that he was specifically involved, but that yeah, you could ask about him. Um you know, I think also it's it is it's second it's the it you know, one you you line him up and he's not in their top 3 and 2 that the batted ball data was not great and teams are very very focused on that right now. That's not this stuff is not definitive, right? It's not your batted ball data from one year is not what you'll be for the rest of your life. You know, Thomas is, I think, still 22, maybe 23 this year, still young, I think still has some potential to get a little bit stronger. Um, I don't think he's ever going to be a power guy. He never did. And I like Alec Thomas. I've, I've ranked him. I thought he was a first round talent out of the draft and I've had him as a top 100 prospect. That All that potential is still there. 
Um, and he's got a high floor because he can really play defense. And he puts the ball in play. That'll keep you employed for a long time. But he's going to have to hit the ball uh, harder on a more consistent basis than what he showed last year. Um, and I think he's capable of that. But now there's more of a gulf between the player he is right now and the player I thought he'd be. The Diamondbacks probably thought he'd be at age, say, 24, 25 a larger gulf than we thought there'd be. He has more work to do to get to that point. And it does, you know, we're, we're talking about Carson Kelly a second ago. That's the fear, right? He just never hits the ball harder. And if Thomas never hits the ball harder than he did last year in his major league debut, then you probably have an extra outfielder and a nice one when you keep around for a long time, because there are things he can do, but that's not a regular. And that's, probably what is steering, you know, it's going to cost him playing time. He could be back in AAA this year. Um, even though he he would probably be on the opening day roster for a lot of clubs, Arizona's got a lot of outfielders. Yeah, I think giving him chances to continue playing every day as opposed to only having him play once or twice a week would be the priority if everyone's healthy and if this depth chart is as it currently is constructed once we get to opening day. You know, batted ball quality seems like a thing that leads teams to give up on a player faster than many metrics that have been used in the past. In the conversations you've been having over the last several years now with people all around the game, is that pretty consistent from organization to organization, whether that be you know exit velocity on fastballs as an indicator of bat speed or just overall exit velos being low? I think of uh, Victor Robles as a guy that I was just way off on and like what I was expecting and, and what he has become in low, very low exit velocities sort of help explain it. Like knowing that teams have access to more information as players come through the minor leagues, how how are we seeing this kind of play out in, in various trades and, and decisions teams are making? Well, everyone talks about exit velocity and to some extent people talk about spin rates like it's just become part of the lingua franca of of scouts. This is not limited just to conversations with folks working in analytics. Like I talk to scouts and player development people, and they're all conversant in essentially the language of Statcast. Um, it's how do people interpret it, and how do they use it to make decisions? That's where you see wide differences across organizations. And there are some folks who are. Like I can think of, I'm not going to name names, obviously. Um, I'm thinking of a particular player development executive who loves to quote max exit velocities for players because that is an example of, hey, he hit a, hit a ball 112 and he's 20 years old. That indicates what's possible. Not everybody looks at it that way. You could look, you could say, hey, that's that's an outlier. How often is he getting up to 110 or even over 100? What's his average versus his max? And do you want to break that down by pitch type like you were just saying? Because you'd see maybe see substantial differences. There are lots of different directions in which you go with that. I am always of the opinion more information is pretty much better. You know, Unless we really know that something is irrelevant. I am here to take all your information. And if you want to talk to me about exit losses on players, I'm here for it. I may also ask you, I'm perfectly capable of looking at even top line stats and starting to draw some potential conclusions about what a player's batted ball data looks like. But then I'll ask, too. I don't want to assume and say, you know, what are his exit velocities like? What do you see in the batted ball data? Does he need to get stronger? Does he need to make harder contact? 
So those are what my conversations are typically like. And sometimes I even know the answer, but I'll ask the question anyway, because I want to know what they say. Go ahead. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me something. I think I know. Maybe I got it from one source and another source says something different. And that's also useful information for me. But I, I, I will say that, that you, you can't have a conversation with a scout, a coach, player development, and certainly an analytics person talking about a hitter without some discussion of just how hard is he hitting the ball. And that comes down to we, we have a way to measure that now. We didn't always. You know, it used to be how loud is it off the bat mm-hmm. or you know, sometimes how far did he hit it? Well, we know those aren't necessarily the same things. I do think probably if you could really measure decibels off the bat, that might line up pretty well with exit velocity. But having exit velocity is great for that. I don't think it's, again, I don't think it's definitive. If you are making decisions straight off exit velocity, you're probably going to make a lot of mistakes, but it's really good to have. I think I can find that middle ground, whereas I fully understand that a max exit velocity is not statistically meaningful because it's one it's like your it's your best possible outcome but i can understand that it's valuable and that it it gives you an idea where a player's power ceiling is at this time over a period of time what's the max like the raw power grade even if that's not the power they get to consistently so say that you gave me you know if you just gave me an exit velocity max exit velocity number on a player it says to me okay maybe He's got the potential to get to a certain degree of power from that. But at the same time, I also, hypothetically, hey, it's maxing out at 110, 111. Mm -hmm. 60% of the balls he hits are on the ground. All right, well, then that's not usable power. Good job being really strong. You'll kill a lot of worms that way. Mm -hmm. But that's not really that useful. So, I mean, that, that to me is... The fundamental problem with almost any of these things, a spin, this comes up with spin rate or you know spin axis, any of these individual metrics that, you know, I don't know what the flavor of the month is right now, but you, I am not a big fan of any process that makes big decisions on players. You could substitute something else for players based on your line of work that is built around a single metric. I always want the, a fuller picture. And like I said, generally more information is going to be better than less. I, I understand there's, there are diminishing returns at some point. We're, I, I'm certainly not there. Um, I'm not dealing with terabytes of data that I'm getting from StatCast every year. But I'm saying if, if you are just telling me exit velocity, I'm like, that's interesting. I have 10 more questions. There's a lot more I need to know about a player. And I, there are guys who, Zach Neto, who's in the Angels system, was brought up to me by someone else, someone with access to a lot of the data. Who said, you know, that's a guy who hits a lot of home runs and doesn't have very high max exit velocities. He's hitting a lot of balls out of the park at 90, you know, in the 90s, 90 to 99 mile an hour range. And it's more the shape of his swing. And, you know, I think a lot of pitch selection that's allowing him to do that. Maybe he doesn't do that as he gets to the big leagues too, right? This is a guy who's who obviously he, he was in the draft last year and the Angels are trying to get him to the big leagues yesterday, uh, but that he continued to do it in pro ball despite, you know, he's not hitting 110 miles an hour. There are going to be outliers like that. And I don't want to miss guys like that. I wouldn't want to miss Zach Neto in the draft because I don't like his max exit velocity. If you pass on Zach Neto, there should be other reasons for that. Yeah, and I, I was thinking as we were talking about Thomas and broader examples, 
Nolan Arenado is a really good example for me of a star-level player right now who does things a bit differently, added some bat speed recently, right, making some changes to bat he was using both, if I remember correctly. I hope I'm not combining the Paul Goldschmidt story with the Nolan Arenado story. He makes these later career adjustments, and it starts to look a little bit better in the underlying numbers. But more importantly, I think, with Arenado, and this is kind of where Zach Neto comes in for me, is he, Arenado pulls all of his home runs. Right, the the pitches you mm-hmm. drive out of the park are a certain type of pitch. I think there's there's something to that, and you you don't have to hit it as far if you pull it compared to trying to hit right. it out to center. So you don't have to hit it as hard. That's that's kind of important. I think it's always important to take the the first data point and then decide what path you're going to pursue to learn more about the player. In the case of Alec Thomas, he has the the classic max EV is not bad, barrel rate's low at three point eight percent. And the problem, as you know from watching him and look at the stat, it hits the ball on the ground too much. So then you have to say, when you look at his swing, do you think the swing can be adjusted to where he can hit the ball in the air more consistently? Because if he's going to get to that that power he does seem to have, then he has to hit the ball in the air. And maybe that's a good adjustment that he can make, or maybe that's an adjustment that would cause him to strike out a lot and the hit tool wouldn't be good enough. There's all sorts of ways it can break depending on who the player is and his other abilities. Yeah, very well said. Yeah, I think that it points to, again, it's an approach. I think that we have seen, I don't want to go too far down into this kind of criticism, especially since a lot of this would be people who are not in these positions anymore, but we've seen teams get too locked in on a particular metric. You know, draft that way, acquire players that way. And some have had success doing that for a very short period of time. I had an, a front office person say to me years ago that if they thought they found a trend in some of this advanced data, you know, StackCast, TrackMan style data, it might be better to just, and they thought it was meaningful, but they hadn't really proven it. It would be better to just pursue it because by the time, they had enough data and had done the work to show that it was meaningful, any opportunity would have closed. Someone else would have found it by that point. And any opportunity to capitalize on it would have been gone. I think that makes sense because front offices have a lot of people working to solve the same problem, right? So people are going to land in similar places or at the same endpoint after the rigorous analysis. So yeah, you're only going to have that edge for a very small amount of time. Then you're you're betting on something that you're not sure about. That's a lot. I mean, that your job is at stake in many of those instances trying to lean into something new like that. So it's a high-risk, high-reward proposition, I guess, to, to choose to go down that path. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network. You're there to look for jobs. You're there to post jobs. And how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. 
Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra-flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. Let's talk about some other things that have happened since you and I last spoke. Dansby Swanson was really the last top end shortstop off the board. He ends up with the Cubs. I think we talked about this about a year ago, looking at the Cubs moves and they were kind of strange at the time. It was like, what's the big thing they're going to do? What's the extra thing they're going to do to put this over the top is after they signed Marcus Stroman. And I thought the Cubs might've been able to hang around and play meaningful games in the second half and maybe even be, the last wild card team as they were built going into last season. Similar question for you now. Do you think they're a playoff caliber team with the roster they've got? Quietly adding a few little pieces to go around a big piece like Dansby Swanson and some of the holdovers they had? I liked them as a wild card team going into last year too. So I'm there's a part of me that's like, slow down. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but I do think as currently constructed, I like the Trey Mancini pickup too. They were one of the few teams that I think was in a position to, I mean, Cini hasn't obviously hasn't been the same player since he came back from fighting cancer. They're in a position to say he helps us. Also, we can roll the dice a little bit on him getting better. I think as currently constructed, you could make a case in that division that they're contenders, more contenders for the division than they are, say, for the wild card, because there are enough teams in the East and West who are probably better that um, I don't love their wild card chances necessarily would love to see them maybe pick up a back end starter. Cause I'm not totally buying into, for example, Cubs fans were mad. Cause I was, um, cause I hate Justin Steele. I don't actually hate Justin Steele. <laughs> I just don't think he's like a number two starter. Right. He pitched like one for a very short period of time. I don't really think he has that kind of stuff. I think he's a big league starter. Sure. But I think it's more back end than front end and would like to see some more depth. Maybe. But I like what I, I I'd like when teams that are were below 500 last year 
decide to go out and spend some money because they want to put a good product on the field. You know what? Maybe the Cubs don't make the playoffs this year, but they win 84 games. And that's a lot more than they won last year. And the fans will enjoy it. And maybe that puts them, you know, they still have some real, they have a really interesting position player prospects coming. Um, You know, Pete Crow Armstrong is kind of racing to the big leagues. He might get there soon. Kevin Alcantara is a little bit further away, but I'm a huge, huge fan. He's got enormous ceiling. They have prospects coming. No one says you have to suck until the wave of prospects shows up. I think they're playing it pretty well right now because if if you didn't feel like you had a long-term shortstop, it's okay to be a year or two early if you have that young talent coming, right? If there's not a Dansby Swanson or a Carlos Correa or whichever player you ended up going after, it's not a player like that in the 2024 class, then you got to sign that player to the multi-year deal now. I like some of the shots they've taken, uh, like Mancini, I think Cody Bellinger on a one-year deal. Why not? See what happens. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can yeah. fix Cody Bellinger. If you fix Cody Bellinger, he turns back into a four-plus win player. That's a huge step in the right direction for you. You turn him into a two-win player, you've done great. He's going to be a good defender in center field at a minimum, so he's probably not going to hurt you playing. There are so many worse players that teams give lots of playing time to when they're rebuilding, so no problems with that. And they've got a couple of younger guys on the roster. One in particular that I didn't really know a lot about prior to last year is Christopher Morell. Played all over for them last year. A lot of swing and miss in his profile, Keith. But when he hits the ball, he does hit the ball hard. Gets gets the barrel rate up there 13.4% in his debut. Didn't play much at AAA. So there's a lot of ways this could go. Uh, but what do you make of Morell as a prospect? And how surprised were you by what we saw from him upon arrival last year? That's kind of what I expected. Low OBP, very, very high strikeout rate, plays all over, has some value. Actually, you know, he's worth a win and a half in 113 games. That's probably it. That's probably the upside here. He's just, he is always going to swing and miss too much, Um, you know, barring some massive, massive overhaul in his swing and or approach. Um, But a nice bench player, you know, good guy to have. And, you know, if he gets 400 play appearances because he's playing all over and spelling other guys, great. If he's playing every day at pretty much any position, then you're probably in trouble. And I think the Cubs are in a position now where that's not likely to happen, right? But unless there's some big injury, in which case they'd be glad they have him around, right? He's the guy you want to have around in case there's an injury because he can play a bunch of different spots. He is not somebody you want to have playing every day if you're a contender. Yeah, good glue player, I think, as they go through it. And they can afford, that. with the other improvements they've made, they can afford to play him a little bit less and and maybe keep him away from some of the more uh, difficult, same-handed pitching matchups, other things you might want to avoid to sort of set him up for success. I think Seiya Suzuki with a full healthy season could be very good for them this year as well. I thought Mm -hmm. some of the things he was doing in his first season in the big leagues um, was overlooked because this this team just ended up being bad, much to uh, our, our disappointment, I guess. Yeah. The Jamison Tyon addition next to Stroman at least gives them, they don't have that frontline guy. They don't have that sort of, oh, hey, we're in a we're in an elimination game and we've got someone that's going to just come out and, and deal for us. But they've got Tyon and Stroman at the top of the rotation now. Steele, I would agree with you, is more of a depth guy. Kyle Hendricks, unfortunately, with injuries might be nearing the end. Yeah, we just don't know. Throwing in the high 80s always kind of made him a risky guy to sort of fall off if the velo dipped too much, right? And that was now he's got injuries on top of that. Talked about Hayden Wisniewski, I think, with you on a previous episode. I think he could emerge to be a pretty good option for them. Their bullpen's a little shaky. 
There's a few interesting names, but they don't have a great deep bullpen. They don't have a playoff caliber bullpen yet. Their depth chart on MLB.com lists 12 starters. I think that's a lot. Yeah. But you're right. None of these is an ace. I know people who love Wesneski, and I like Wesneski. I thought he was a great pickup. He's a back-end starter, a really good swing man, a very good reliever, like a really useful guy to have on a staff. Would not surprise me if he's a guy who made 10 starts and 30 relief appearances over the course of a full season. And and then suddenly you look up at the end of the year and he's worth two plus wins. Um, they got a couple guys who are like that, who you really would like to have. You don't need eight of them, maybe. You know, I think Str- I wouldn't be surprised if they got a little more out of Stroman, a little more out of Tyon. Both those guys were better this year than last year. I could see that. They still don't have an ace. I agree. Um, you know, I think they've got a couple guys who could be number twos if they're good and healthy. And then, you know, they've got a bunch of depth guys. But you know what? If you're in this position, I'm kind of okay with that. I don't know who, you know, Tyon was one of the best starting pitcher free agents available this winter. So I'm fine with that. Like, I don't know who else they would have necessarily gone to get. And I don't think they want to trade any of that group of position player prospects, Crow Armstrong, Alcantara, Triantos, Casey, Made. They're not all going to work out, but I'm not letting go of any of those guys right now either. I am waiting to see, at least give those guys another year and see how they develop. I'm also very curious to see Miguel Amaya too, back fully healthy. He, he was on the cusp of the big leagues in the first place. Um, you know, maybe he's their primary catcher by the end of this year. There's a lot of stuff that's in transition, a lot of positions that are in transition for them this year. And to me, that is a justification for saying, we're going to spend some money. We want to be competitive. We're not going out and signing the top end free agent, right? We're not giving Justin Verlander 35 million a year, 40 million a year, whatever it was. They weren't in in the right spot to do that, I think. Yeah, I think what you said kind of at, at the top of the this part of the conversation, because they're in the NL Central, they've got a slightly better path to a playoff spot than if they had to play in the West or the East. They aren't good enough to win those other two divisions. They might be good enough to hang around the Central, get a few midseason upgrades, and actually come out on top. Not the expected outcome, but I think it's a reasonable one. And I'm probably selling the relievers a little bit short because... If you want to count Adbert Alzale as part of that relief core, I've always liked him. He's an electric arm. If he's healthy, he's in the pen. He's very good. Brandon Hughes might be a little underrated. They did just pick up Julian Merriweather. We saw Keegan Thompson in more of like a swing role last year. If he's working he's more in short is. relief, he, he might be even better in short relief. And they've got Jeremiah Estrada as a guy that I think could be a more impact uh, late inning arm there too. So maybe a little better bullpen that I'm giving them credit for, but also a lot of guys that we just haven't seen either stay healthy or pitch at a high level over full seasons in relief, even though the stuff might actually look pretty good. Yeah. Alzale is a guy I used to like a lot when he was, you know, 2021. 20, and it was like when you could still sort of project on him. I, I think he's a right on right guy. And those guys, are, they're tough to carry at this point. You got to be able to get lefties out. Even in relief, you have to be able to get lefties out because of the three batter minimum. Um, they got a couple of guys like that kicking around too, where it's, Oh, it's almost could you could you you know take four of them and just like put them in some kind of transmogrifier or something and smush them together, make one pitcher, right? You take four one war pitchers and put them together, you get one four war pitcher. I don't think that works. No, no, but I do think they are headed in the right direction. I think they are a little bit better than they were this time last year, and I'm not going to run away from them just because they let me down in 2022. I think it could be a 
a better summer on the north side of Chicago for the Cubs than we saw a year ago. That's going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Baseball Show. You can find Keith on Twitter at Keith Law. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. If you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, you can get one for $2 a month for the first year at theathletic.com slash baseball show. The Athletic Baseball Show returns next week. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.